0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: We're in the middle of chapter 53, page 804. He's basically explaining the holy of holies according to Nachmanides this was the whole purpose of the temple that God rested revealed himself his shechina rested in the temple so the holy of holies in this world the revelation of godliness that was revealed in the holy of holies in this world the temple was more intense and greater than the revelation of the Holy of Holies in the upper worlds, even in the supernal world. Because the main Shechina, the essence of the Shechina, the highest level of the Shechina is found in this world. How do we see that? Why is that? Firstly, because the Holy of Holies contained the Ten Commandments, which is the essence of the Torah which is God's plaything, God's pleasure. So the revelation that was met, revealed in the Holy of Holies, the revelation of holiness that radiated, was superior, more intense, than even the level of the Shekhinah of the, whole, of, of the upper worlds. The Holy of Holies in the upper worlds. How do we see that? We see that the Ten Commandments was Miraculous all of the worlds follow a natural procedure one world then descends to the next world and it's a process and it progresses and that's all part of the process of the procedure the holy of holies skipped that whole procedure skipped that whole process It went directly from a higher world and skipped the whole natural process so much so that we had a stone but the whole thing was miraculous the stone was miraculous Moshe didn't you the stone from the mountain the stone came from Hashem gave him the stone he came from heaven, he came down with the stones two stones, tapped the writing was miraculous the Talmud says the beginning of the tract of the Megillah which we're studying now for Purim that the Samach and the Mem the the final Mem which in the Hebrew language has nothing to hold on to so since the stones were carved through and through etched through and through so it was suspended in mid-ear it was hanging in mid-ear it was a miracle and it says no matter which way you looked at it according to many commentaries it means no matter which way you looked at it backwards, forward, top, bottom on the sides it always read you can always read it As if you were reading it, as if it was frontward. There was no backward. It was totally miraculous. The Holy of Holies itself was miraculous. It took up space. It didn't take up space simultaneously. Suspended space and space together at the same time. It was beyond miraculous. It was such a manifestation of the divine. Of God's undefined essence. So, this indicates that the revelation in the Holy of Holies was so intense, was so powerful, so profound, it was greater than the manifestation of the Holy of Holies in the upper realms, which follows a natural progression from one world to the next. Because this, an an this was an event that was completely unnatural. And yet it was in the natural world, in the physical. This indicates that it comes from a very high level and the reason is because it contained the Ten Commandments which was the essence of the entire Torah which is God's God's infinite light God's infinite self as revealed in the Torah concentrated as revealed in the Torah so the divine Shekhinah that was concentrated and manifest in the Holy of Holies was so powerful and from this it radiated holiness the whole world that's why we had prophecy we had the era of prophecy we had had holiness manifested itself Talmud says there were a million two hundred thousand prophets that were touched by prophecy it was holiness it radiated holiness it brought into this world something something a godliness Now, when the temple is destroyed, then you had the second temple, which also had the Holy of Holies, but the Ark was missing, and it wasn't on the same level. The era of prophecy came to an end. The level of holiness was not on the same level. The effect of the holiness, the effect that that holiness had on the outside world was not the same. The first, the,
0: the ten commandments was, uh, was no. written by Moshe, right? I mean, second, the second, second. Right. no,
1: no, it says, no. second, God says you bring up the stones, and then it says God wrote, but Moshe brought up the stone sapphire that was the second set of tablets. The first set of tablets were shattered after yeah. the sin of the golden calf, but they were also present in the ark. The second set of tablets were there, and also the shattered tablets the first tablets were also inside the ark but the second temple the level of holiness did not impact the world the same way as the first temple the first temple had a powerful impact on the world and the whole world was much more spiritual as a result this is pre-Greek pre-philosophy they were much more mystical They much more in touch with the Spiritual. So the whole world was impacted by this presence. It was a light that radiated from the Holy of Holies. When the Ark is buried, yes, that means holiness is there, but it's buried, it's concealed. It doesn't have the same impact on the world. And the world becomes a lot coarser. Godliness becomes a lot more hidden, a lot more concealed and then when the second temple is destroyed and we no longer have that holiness the holiness is there but it's destroyed so the Talmud says where is God's manifest how do we manifest God how do we bring that light into this world we we have to be that light when we study Torah when a Jew sits and studies Torah he becomes that candle when he does a mitzvah he becomes that walking candle that lamplighter that brings holiness into the world and that's why God dispersed the Jewish people all around the world because he needs us to bring that holiness and that godliness and that radiance into every corner of the world because so we have to step up to the plate the good news is now all the bases are loaded we've already covered all our bases because Jews today are dispersed throughout the world and you have Chabad houses flourishing in every corner of the world <laughs> so you have Hashem's light and radiance radiating and shining and illuminating and transforming every part of the world and now we're ready for the literal Holy of Holies for the tablets to come back to re-emerge, to be reestablished forever and ever and when that Holy of Holies is revealed, this will completely transform the world. That's the Mashiach. And we're, we're a second away.
2: The Ten Commandments are, are the all-embracing principle of the whole Torah. As explained in the Hazarot of Sar- Hazar Yalaun, the Ten Commandments incorporate all the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot of the Torah which derive from the level of the supernal Chokhmah, which means Chokhmah of that is far higher than the world of manifestation. It is far higher at Malchut of Atsilu, which is called the world of manifestation, because it reveals the light of Ein Sof to the world. As explained earlier, for this reason, the Torah is able to act as a garment that does not become unified in the light of Shekhinah
1: what's able to contain this light the Shekhinah which is God's manifestation is very powerful very intense how do, how does it, what's able to contain this intense light the Torah the wisdom, God's wisdom why is it able to contain it because it's, it's greater than the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is God's manifestation, it's God's revelation. The Torah comes from the source, from God's brain, from God's mind, from the source of God's speech, God's manifestation. So therefore, it's able to contain that intensity and that light.
2: However, as Torah descended into the Ten Commandments engraved on the tablets, it did not do so in a manner that will make it similar to other physical things. Rather, as will soon be explained, it remained on a level which is higher than the previously mentioned upper world.
1: The Torah, the entire Torah, did come manifest in the garments, in the material world. But the Ten Commandments, the revelation of the Torah and the Ten Commandments, did not... Manifest itself in the, in the material Natural world The whole thing was unnatural It was miraculous It was something beyond ordinary so Even in, in its revealed sense The way it was manifest It was manifest in a miraculous Very special way
2: In order To engrave them on material Tablets of stone It did not descend degree by degree parallel to the order of descent of the worlds which descends by stages from the higher world to the lower world until it reaches this material world. Generally, in order for a flow of divine light to arrive at this physical world, it must first descend from world to world, coming down through the world of Yetzirah and spiritual Asiya, both of which are higher, that is its ultimate destination, this world. This, whole, this, however, was not the case with the tablets. This material world functions through the guard of material nature, while the tablets are the work of God, a divine creation in which Godliness nor not mature, is revealed. And the writing is the writing of God, writing in which godliness is perceived beyond the nature of this material world, which is derived from the revelation of Shekhina in the shrine of the Holy of the Holy of Asiyah, from which light and vitality is the world of Asiya, in which this physical world is also included the ray of the Shekhinah, which is in the shrine of the Holy of the Holy of Asiyah, gives this physical world its vitality at the first being Gab in Malchut of Asiyah, as explained earlier. This was not the case with the tablets.
1: He said earlier that first the Shekhinah of the higher, first the is manifest in the brains, in the mind which is the center focal point, the Holy of Holies of that world. And then from there, it's revealed in the malchus, in the speech, in the most external part of that world. And that gives life and vitality to that world. But here, it skipped that whole process.
0: But the level of the supernal Chokmah of Atzilut, consisting of the totality of the Torah, as it is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments, clothed itself in Mahut of Atilu and of Bria alone, and did not close itself further in the lower worlds. And they alone, Chachmah as it is garbed in Mahut and Mahut of Bria, without further vestment, united as they are with the infinite light of the Ain Soph. Uh, that is within that.
1: So it had to come down in the world of Berea because it had to come down into into the physical form. It had to come down into this world. But it came into this world via the world of Berea, which is called a hidden world. The world which is swallowed up in its source. The world which is... it's not it's, it's still connected to its source. And therefore it's also manifest in a way, in an unnatural way, in a way which is miraculous, mysterious, miraculous, special.
0: It's referred to as the Shkina, which rested in the Holy of Holies of the First Temple, through its being vested in the Ten Commandments, which were engraved by miraculous means in the tablets reposing in the Ark. As the sages tell us, the letters Mem and Sama, circular letters, hewn through the entire thickness of the stone, stood in their place miraculously. Moreover, the Ten Commandments upon the tablets were the work of the living God, Elokim Kayin. This being, in terms of the sphera, Bina of which is known as the concealed world, which nests in the world of Bria, as is known to, to those familiar with the esoteric discipline. Those familiar with the Kabbalah know that the Bina of Atzivu radiates into the world of Bria, a world which still remains in the category of a concealed world. That is, it is categorized as a world, but not a world whose independent being is revealed. In that, the world of Bria is aware of how it is wholly dependent on God.
1: So that's what the verse means, Elohim, Chaim, the living God. What does the word Chayim add? Because Elohim itself, is it usually refers to Malchus, God's kingdom, kingship. The lowest level, most external level, superficial level. Elohim Chaim is the source, the source of life, which is Bina, which is understanding. That's the mother that gives life and to the offspring. So Elohim Chaim, the writing came from Elohim Chaim, the level of Bina which is manifest in the world of Bria, which is the world of pure comprehension, pure understanding. Which when you have such a deep understanding of godliness, you're consumed by that understanding. It engages you and you're totally engaged by that understanding until you become like a fish in water. You become swallowed up in your source just like a fish Mm -hmm. knows it can't survive a moment without the water, without its life source. So, too, you become swallowed up in your life source. You know you can't exist a moment without Hashem. You're like a light that's connected to its source, to the sun. You can't exist without the sun. So, you're constantly thinking about your source, you're absorbing the source. So, there's no real ego, there's no real separation. So therefore, it's called the hidden world, concealed. Just like the fish are concealed in its life source. All you see is the life source. So, too, you don't see any separation. They're inseparable, they're, they're, they're like swallowed up in their life source. So this is a level of godliness in which, you know, it's miraculous that the way it's manifest in this world, the Ten Commandments were miraculous. The writing was miraculous. It wasn't from this natural world. It wasn't from this natural order. You can't write and have letters hanging in mid right. You can't write and have, no matter which side you look at it, it looks like you're reading it straight, from right to left. The whole thing was a completely miraculous. Yet it was physical. You can see it. It was in the stone. And yet the whole, everything about it was completely unnatural, miraculous. There was nothing in the world. This wasn't part of the natural order of the, of the world. And yet it was manifest in this world. So in order to be able to manifest such an intense level of revelation, such an intense level of godliness, it has to come from the highest source. The way it came down, it came down through the world of emanation and through the world of creation. What's the source? The source is Chachmed Atsilas. The source is, and it only emanates from Chachmed Atsilas. But what's the source? The source is Hashem himself, Hashem's infinite light. The Iker Shekhinah, the essence of the Shekhinah, which is a greater revelation than even the revelation of God's Shekhinah in the world of emanation. Because to be able to be manifest in this physical world, something as completely miraculous, unnatural, and yet it's physically manifest. This comes, from the, this comes from the deep. This shows us what's the source of this revelation. It comes from the deeper source, the highest source, the essence. So it's not only the fact that God could manifest himself in this physical world. But the fact that God could manifest himself, a light, something that could be manifest in this physical world, has to be much deeper, much more powerful, much more profound than the light that's manifest in the heavens. Or, in the God, or even in the world of emanation, in the divine world. For it to be able to be in the physical world, and yet to be completely, not to play by the rules and laws of nature, to be a complete mystery and divine event, a miraculous phenomenon, that means that at its source, these Ten Commandments at the source, this is the source of the Torah. And what's the source of the Torah? God's infinite light. It was undefined and not only unlimited, infinite, but infinite, but completely undefined. So the main shekhinah, the intense light that radiated from the Holy of Holies, was something incredible. Something that doesn't exist in the higher realm. The fact that it was also physical, and the fact that the Holy of Holies did take up space, and simultaneously didn't take up any space, that was a manifestation of the fact that God is so infinite in the higher world, the Shekhinah of the higher world is God's revelation. So it's a manifestation of God's infinite self. But the fact that the tablets, that God was able to manifest the Shekhinah in a physical form, in the tablets, And the fact that the Holy of Holies took up space and simultaneously didn't take up space, that came from even a deeper place. A place that's even beyond God's being infinite. That God is so infinite. He's he's infinite that even infinity is too finite. Because infinity is a definition. It's infinite, not finite. God is so undefined. Not only God is beyond the finite. God even transcends being infinite. He's so undefined that He can be beyond infinite. And therefore, He can manifest Himself in the finite. And therefore, He can be finite and infinite simultaneously. Neither both at the same time. So this shows that this revelation was so powerful, so intense. Beyond the revelation in the higher realms, which is God's infinite revelation. And yet, this physical Holy of Holies, in this physical world, and the physical ark, and the physical tablets... This was such a revelation of godliness that doesn't exist anywhere. This is a revelation of God himself, the main, the essence of the Shechim. That's where the holiness that radiated. This was the Ten Commandments. The Torah wasn't given to angels. The Torah was given in this world. And where was it housed? In the Ten Commandments, in the Ark, in the Holy of Holies. This is what contained it. So, the level of Shekhinah that was manifest, that radiated from the Holy of Holies in this physical world was something so profound, so special. As King Solomon said when he built a temple, he cried out in astonishment How is it possible that the heavens and the heaven of heavens don't contain you, God? And this house, this physical house, this is where God is contained. This draws down an intense. Revelation. An intense level of godliness. Like we learned the other week, not just revelation. Revelation means you cover the you cover the cup, you don't see the cup, you remove your hand, the cup is there. Nothing changed. Just you didn't see, you do see it. You cover your face, you reveal. Nothing changed. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about here drawing down something that wasn't there before when the curtain is closed the light is not there it's not the light is here but I don't see it (laughs) you open your eyes and the light is here no the light is not here you block the light you remove the curtains the light streams in so there's something here that wasn't there before that's the idea of drawing down the shem you're drawing down a level of godliness an intense level of godliness that wasn't there before so this is the idea of what the Holy of Holies the power of the Holy of Holies the holiness of the Holy of Holies now you can understand why the high priest was not allowed in only once a year and not every high priest made it the second temple most of the high priests died it was a one year job they didn't make it past Yom Kippur (laughs) you had to pull them out with the ropes Could you imagine you entering into the presence of such holiness of such an intense powerful energy revelation intensity even angels are burnt up angels angels can't handle it you know unless you're really a holy unless you're a holy Jew genuinely holy it's just too intense it's too powerful this is in the second temple which we're going to learn now, is not even on the same level as the first temple. The impact of the Holy of Holies wasn't the same in the second temple as it was in the first temple. The impact on on the rest of the world, outside of the Holy. So this was something very, very real. In the desert, it was manifest, as we we read at the end of this week's Torah portion, the conclusion of the Book of Exodus. That the cloud of glory filled the tabernacle. So it was manifest in a cloud. There was a manifestation. They saw that it was filled with a presence, with holiness. And Moses couldn't enter. It was too powerful, too. It was an intense revelation. It was completely out of the order of creation, out of the order of nature, out of the order of the whole process of the worlds and the procession of the worlds and the progression was completely something out of the completely out of the box most intense revelation the essence of the Shekhinah of the infinite light of Hashem himself so this was in the first temple
3: Six. as for the second temple in which the Ark and the Tablets did not repose these being among the five things found in the first temple and lacking in the second our rabbis of blessed memory said that the Shekhinah did not abide there this means not that God forbid the Shekhinah did not abide there at all, rather it speaks of the category of the Shekhinah which used to abide in the first temple which was not in the manner of the ordinary descent of the world
1: God forbid to say the Shekhinah wasn't there of course the Shekhinah was and therefore though, you're not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies only on Yom Kippur but it means it wasn't the same level, it wasn't the same way as it was in the first temple. What's the difference between the two?
3: It was this level of Shekhinah that did not abide in the second temple, but only a far lesser level. But in the second temple, it abided according to the order of gradual descent of Malchut of Atzilut vested in Malchut of Briah and the latter in Malchut of Yetzirah, and the latter in the shrine of the Holy of Holies of Asiyah, that, that shrine being Chabad of Asiyah.
1: So in the Second Temple, the Shekhinah did go through the natural progression of the world. Instead of stopping at the world of creation, the hidden world, and then directly from there being revealed and expressed in the tablets, In the second temple, the Shekhinah did descend and progress through the natural progression of the worlds, through the level of Shekhinah of the world of formation, and then the level of Shekhinah of the spiritual world of Asiyah, of action. And from there, the Shekhinah was manifest in the physical world, in the physical Holy of Holies. Even that is a very intense, powerful revelation. And so much so that the high priest was not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies with the exception of Yom Kippur. But nevertheless, it wasn't the same level of intensity like you had in the first temple.
3: And the Holy of Holies of Asiyah was clothed in the Holy of Holies of the temple below. In it rested the Shrina, i.e., Malchut of Yetzirah, which was clothed in the Holy of Holies of Asiyah. Therefore, because the Shekhinah resided in the temple's Holy of Holies, no man was permitted to enter there except the high priest on Yom Kippur. And since the destruction of the temple, of which the sanctuary was a part, God resides in the shrine of Holy of Holies of Torah and work. For, as mentioned earlier, the Shekhinah must reside in the Holy of Holies. Right, the
1: Shekhinah is the... Energy of the entire world, which every part of the world, every creature, every aspect of the world receives its sustenance from the Shekhinah. So there has to be a revelation of the Shekhinah for anything to exist. And where is it housed? In the Holy of Holies, which is the brain of that world, the Holy of Holies. Now, yes, it does say that the Shekhinah never parted the temple. So much so that my Maimanari says that you're not allowed to go up to the Temple Mount today. If you're impure, and all of us are considered impure today, if you go up in the Temple Mount, you lose your life. The Ravid argues, but Allah is like the Rambam. Maimanari says you're not allowed to. The Shekhinah never left. But yes, it's true the Shekhinah never left, but the Temple is destroyed. The idea of the Shekhinah is that it has to be manifest it's the revelation it's a manifestation and it has to be manifest in the Holy of Holies and from there everything receives its sustenance. the question is where is it manifest today? where is the Holy of Holies today? so the Talmud says that the Holy of Holies today is the Torah when a Jew studies Torah today he becomes the Holy of Holies. That becomes the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's Shekhinah is manifest. That's the brain. That's where God's Shekhinah is manifest. And from there, the entire world receives its life and sustenance. So you, when I Jew studies Torah, you are feeding the whole world. You are nourishing the whole world. Because the whole world receives its life and sustenance. From... Hashem, but Hashem first manifests His energy, just like in the human body. The soul first manifests its conscious energy, first with a burst of consciousness, with a general sense of, of life, which is manifest in the brain, and that the, becomes the command and control center for the whole body. From there, every individual organ that nourishes every individual organ is individual life source. So too, this energy that comes from Hashem doesn't first is manifest in the form of the Shekhinah, which alone is a very intense and powerful energy. And then from there, like a light that's connected to the sun, that's drawn from the sun, every individual organ, every individual entity receives its individual life and energy. So when a Jew studies Torah, you are the engine you are the command and control center you become the you house the Shekhinah which is the life source for everything that exists in this physical world <laughs> and if you study Talmud then you become the Shekhinah and the life source for all the creatures of the world of creation and you study Mishnah you become you house the Shekhinah become the life source for all creatures and entities of the world of formation and when you study Kabbalah you become the you house the Shechina and the life source for the world of manifestation so the Jew is in the driver's seat and the command and control center of the whole universe that's why whatever happens in this universe is affected so profoundly by us that's why we can fix the world. And that's why we can destroy the world. That's why the next thing we're going to learn is about the shuvah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because when we mess things up, we're not just messing ourselves up. We're messing up the whole entire universe. So
3: the Torah is a
1: manifestation? The Torah, that's what, that's what God reveals... God's life force is, is revealed in the Torah. The Torah can house this energy. Because the Torah is God's mind. So it can house, contain this energy. So when a Jew studies Torah, right, you are housing, you are the Holy of Holies that are housing the Torah. And it's housing this energy which sustains and nourishes the entire world. So you're right at the center of the world. That's why Israel is always at the center of the world. Why the Jew never leaves the front page Of the world Because the world knows That its life source Is Israel And the Jewish people There's no getting around it That's why everyone alive Either you hate the Jew, you love the Jew But you can't be indifferent to the Jew Because that's your life source And the healthier more vibrant Spiritually healthy and more vibrant the Jew is The more Torah we study And the more Mitzvot we do the more alive and vibrant and healthy the world is. If we are not doing our job, the world, rightfully so, holds us responsible. True, get your act together. Because if if something is wrong with the brain, something is wrong with the heart, the whole organism suffers. So, we can't run away from our responsibility. How does it
3: compare... Us studying
2: Torah today to the time when the first temple was met, when there
1: was a the tablets were there. So, the first temple, you had the tablets itself. So you had the tablets itself, and you had the holiness in the holy of holies. And that's why the seat of Torah was also in the temple, the Jewish Supreme Court, prophecy, which emanated from the holy of holies from the Ark, from the Holy of Holies, was also in the Temple in Jerusalem. And many of the greatest prophets, they were also the heads of the Jewish Supreme Court. It went hand in hand. Prophecy, revelation of Hashem, the Torah. Royalty was in Jerusalem, the main family of royalty, the Davidic family. This was the nerve center, everything. Everything was about the Sheena. So in other words, when a Jew studies Torah, It's not just a scholastic exercise. It's interesting, it's logical, it's fascinating, it's challenging, it's stimulating. When a Jew studies Torah, you're drawing down the Shechina. You're drawing down godliness into this world. That's why a Jew studies Torah. lishma for its own sake, to draw down godliness into this world. As it says, why was the second temple destroyed? The Talmud says, because they did not make a blessing before they studied Torah. Firstly, okay, they didn't make a blessing. For that, you deserve a million Jews should die and the temple should be destroyed. And the Bach explains, commentary in the Code of Jewish Law, explains. On the Torah, he says, what that means is that when a Jew, in the early times, when a Jew studied Torah, the times of the temple, when the Shekhinah was manifest, a Jew studied Torah properly. You knew when you're studying Torah, you're connecting with Hashem. You're drawing Hashem down into your soul, and through your soul into this world. So the learning was proper. That's what it means to make a blessing before you study Torah. When a Jew makes a blessing before you study Torah, you say, thank you, Hashem, for giving me your Torah. that the act of Torah is like the act of revelation at Mount Sinai. It's a revelation, a manifestation of godliness. Something happened at Mount Sinai. Hashem revealed Himself into this world. And seemingly into very simple commandments. Thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not murder. What's the big gidullah? What's the big deal? What was her earth-shattering about Mount Sinai? What was earth-shattering is that Hashem revealed Himself even in the simple things, but Hashem revealed Himself. That's, what, that's the difference. So when Hashem gave the Ten Commandments, physical tablets, Hashem revealed Himself in these Ten Commandments. So when a Jew makes a blessing before you study Torah, it means before you study Torah, you realize that it's something divine. It's a divine event. Something godly is about to happen. It's not just I'm learning information, interesting information, sharpening my brain, showing how brilliant I am not an ego trip. When you study Torah, your soul draws down Hashem, the soul of the Torah, into your soul, and through you into the world. So when the, when the Shechina was manifest and revealed, Jews study Torah also with holiness. But then when the Jews stopped making a blessing before they studied Torah, in other words, to them, Torah became uh, a head trip. It became a scholastic exercises it became an ego trip to show how brilliant I am and how sharp I am and, how, and therefore they lost the holiness of the Torah so when they lost the holiness of the Torah the Shechina was no longer manifest the holiness was no longer manifest because if you don't want the holiness holiness runs away from you it's like, a, it's like a marriage it's a relationship if you turn your back on your spouse your spouse runs the other way it's a relationship you, if, if you don't appreciate if you don't have a relationship with Hashem you don't connect with the Divine it's all about ego then you, you throw God away and therefore the Temple was destroyed the Shechina could no longer manifest it. and where is, is God manifest? when you study Torah but when you study Torah properly not just to study Torah as some, as some ego, as some ego trip, to show how brilliant you are and how smart you are and how bookish you are and how profound you are and you're the greatest mind that ever lived. That's that's what that, what does that have to do with godliness. That's to do with me. When you study Torah properly, that it's almost Hashem is speaking through you. You're just repeating Hashem's words, and it's divine and something infinite, and something. And your soul. Hashem invested his essence into the Torah, into the brilliance and wisdom of Torah. He invested his soul in the Torah. So when you study Torah using your mind, your soul becomes connected with the soul of the Torah with Hashem. You bring holiness into your soul. And through you, you bring holiness into this world. And you're able to, to bring sustenance and nourishment and life to the whole world. But so when it was physically manifest in the tablets, then it was a whole different story in the era of prophecy. Israel was blessed, miraculously blessed. As the Talmud describes, the fruits in Israel, like when the spies came back, was unusual. Miraculous, it was, not, it was not normal, it wasn't ordinary, natural. Everything about Israel was miraculous and extraordinary because you had the manifestation of the Shekhinah in the tablets. So it changed everything. It, you brought holiness into the world, you brought a level of godliness, such an intense level of godliness that everything changed, it was in a different level. The temple is destroyed. So you no longer have the physical holy of holies. Yes, the Ark is buried and the Shekhinah never left, but it's all hidden. It's all concealed. The temple is destroyed. So how do you draw down godliness? That we should be like a light that sustains and brings light and changes the world around us, transforms the world around us. The way to do it is through studying Torah. By studying Torah, you reveal, you bring, you draw down godliness into this world, holiness. And what level of holiness? A great level of holiness. And through that, the entire world receives its nourishment. That's why it says if, if there was one moment that there wasn't a Jew anywhere around the world studying Torah, the world cannot exist. It's like if you exist without your brain, you can't exist. The whole, the whole the soul is manifest through the brain. Every moment. So there has to be a Jew studying Torah somewhere in the world this one moment, thank God, that we're not all in the same time zone, so if we're sleeping here, someone else is awake somewhere else and studying Torah and studying Torah properly not just an egomaniac who's studying Torah, studying Torah where a Jew studies Torah this is not physics or math or philosophy, or this is Godliness, we're talking about bringing down Godliness into this world drawing Hashem into this world And the more egolessness, the more egoless the one who's learning Torah is, the sweeter, the holier, the more manifest is this Shechina. And it brings tremendous blessings. A Jew who studies Torah with a sense of egolessness brings a much more intense level of holiness into this world. And with it he brings blessings. Blessings. Physical blessings. Material blessings to him and to his community and to the whole world that's the power of studying the Torah, that's why the great Torah rabbis, the great Torah, Torah leaders with their Torah they were able to bring blessings into the world, and able to change the world and transform the world, because when you bring Shechinah into this world, the world is changed, it's touched when the source of life, of everything that exists, is connected and is alive, the more alive and vibrant, the more manifest and revealed the blessing flows So it's very intense. It's very concentrated. What could contain it? The only thing that could, could contain this intense light, divine light that sustains everything that exists, is only Torah. So when a Jew studies Torah, that's the only thing that could contain this intense energy. And from there, the individual energy could flow to each individual entity and give it life and sustenance and nurture it and nourish it. And create it and sustain it. So we really are in the driver's seat. And the whole world depends on us. So it's 11 o'clock at night. The doors are locked. And you're studying Torah in your house. You're all alone. You think, what's the difference? I'm studying Torah. What difference does it make? Do you realize what? You're studying Torah. (laughs) You're holding up the whole world. (laughs) You are drawing down Hashem. Right this moment. You're drawing down the Shekinah. You're accomplishing the same thing that was accomplished in the Holy of Holies. That's what the Talmud says. That HaKadosh Baruch the Holy One, blessed be He, has only the few cubits of Allah alone. This is where Hashem is at home. This is where Hashem is able to reveal Himself and manifest Himself. This intense energy. And only from there, be able to diffuse that individual energy for each individual entity. Individual life
2: Torah is the shrine of the holy of the holy that connects God with the world. So that HaKadosh, the illumination of Shrena, which is Kadosh, which means separated and apart from the world, should become Baruch on the Hebrew root meaning the draw
1: down. HaKadosh means holy, transcendent. Baruch means to draw down like it says it says that he made the camels kneel so draw down you bring the camels down you made them kneel like it says when you when you take a a tree and you take one of its branches and you put it into the ground to grow another tree Not, not grafting what's the Hebrew word for it what's the English word for it grafting is you take a twig and you graft it into the tree that's harkava and then you have um, by levarech is um, when you bend the tree or you bend one of its branches and put it into the ground and from there a new tree grows it's called havracha so that's the idea of bending down, drawing down so that's the idea of a blessing what's the idea of a blessing? blessed are you God God needs our blessing we are blessing God <laughs> bracha means to draw down to bend down to draw down so we want this intense manifestation of godliness hakodesh which is completely transcendent and we want to draw it down into this world which is the idea of the shechina to draw down godliness into this world to draw down a level of godliness that's not a, that we don't have in this world now that's beyond this world. How do we draw it down? She says, All, "The only way to do that today is fewer cubits of Allah."
2: And even if one one Jew sits and engages in Torah study, the Shechina is with him, as is stated in the first chapter of Melachot. The phrase "the Shechina is with him" means that although he is the being of this material world, the Shechinah is nevertheless with him.
1: You think if a person realized that when he studies Torah, even if he's alone studying Torah, behind locked doors, late at night, at home, alone, you think if you realize that the Shechinah was with you, this level of Akkadesh Baruchu, this level of Akkadesh, the transcendent Hashem, Hashem's infinite and undefined self, with Baruch, with able, was revealed and manifest when you study Torah. Do you think this would give you a, a good injection, a good <laughs> enthusiasm to study Torah, to take a Jewish book, take it in your hands, and studying it instead of reading a novel, or watching a movie? Um, it would light a fire. Imagine you have company, you're not alone. HaKodesh Baruch the Shechina is with you while you're studying Torah there's a fire there's a light you don't see it but it's there and the more the more egolist you are the less egotistical you are the more you study Torah properly and appropriately as something divine and holy the more manifest the Shechina will be and the sweeter it will be the Holy Robe. So this is the
0: power of studying Torah. The level of Shkina that is within is in order of the gradual descent and investment of Mahud, of Atsilud, and Mahud of Briah and Yitzhira and Asiyah. It is thus inferior even to the indwelling of the Shkina in the Second Temple. An indwelling that did not require vestment of Mahut of Asiyah. It differs from the drawing down of the Shina in the world in general, in which case the identical progressive descent occurs in that the Shina which resides in the world passes through the additional garment of Klipa Noga, while Torah and the Mitzvah do not. The reason that it must go through the Mahut of Asiyah is that the overwhelming majority of the mitzvahs of the Torah involve physical action. The Shekhinah therefore descends into the level of action, Asia, as now will be explained.
1: Because in the second temple, it went through also the level of the world of formation. And from there, directly into the Holy of Holies the Vasya. and from there, directly into the Holy of Holies, into the physical Holy of Holies. But here, when a Jew studies Torah, the level of Shekhinah goes through the level of not only the Chabad, the Holy of Holies of the world of action, but also through the Malchus, the most external, superficial part of the world of action. And from there, it becomes manifest in the Jew who studies Torah. So it's inferior even to the indwelling of the Shekhinah of the Second Temple because it has to go through the level of Malchus of Asiyah so what's the difference then in general everything in this world receives its life force from a speech from God's level of Malchus of action all the words and letters which make up all the individual creatures and entities so what's the difference so the difference is that Everything that exists in this world has to go through a garment. Because godliness is hidden and concealed. That's what we call klipa. It's a shell that covers up. So you don't sense the divine. You don't sense the godliness. It's covered up. It's like the words and letters have a life of their own. This divorced, disconnected from the speaker. but the Torah mitzvot although they also are also physical the mitzvot are all physical and you fulfill them with your physical body and the Torah deals with the physical world but nevertheless it's holy you're talking about the divine the divine will, the divine wisdom so there's no cover up, there's no concealment there's a speaker, you sense the divine you sense the source God is speaking so it's holy so, so yes, it does manifest itself in the world of Malchus because the Torah is physical. The Torah is written on the Torah's parchment. All the mitzvot you do with your body physically. As I'll say, even the mitzvot that you pray, also you have to move your lips. It's a physical act. The Torah deals with the physical world. So, yes, it does. the Torah does reveal itself through the level of malchus, which is the physical and the tangible. But it's holy, it's Torah. You're dealing with God, you're dealing with the divine. It's the divine will, the divine wisdom. It's not like anything else It's physical, which is a cover-up, which is concealed. Yeah, you don't see the divine connection. Of course, the truth is everything comes from the divine. Everything is created through the divine energy, through God's speech. But you don't sense, you don't see. There's a disconnect. The words almost have a life of its own, as if, they're completely divorced from the speaker, as if there's no speaker, God forbid. That's the cover-up. That's the klipa. So everything in this world comes from klipa. You look at a tree, you don't see its roots, its source. You don't see that it's divine. You, you know a person's alive, you sense that energy, but you don't sense that it's divine. The miracle of life, the divine miracle of life, comes from within that you don't see. So that's the klipat neige. That's the cover-up of the shell. So that's the difference. Versus the Torah comes from the word of Malchus, but there's no cover-up. And that's why the shchina is present. When a Jew studies Torah, godliness is present. Holiness is present. You bring, you draw down holiness and godliness in that studying of Torah and in that mitzvah.
0: See, the thing I don't understand is like it says, um, you know, uh, HaKadosh Baruch who has but four cubits of halacha alone. So right. we're saying that that's inferior to the indwelling of the Shina in the second temple. Yes. And there's a Klipa Noga associated with that No, 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 Torah. no, God forbid, God forbid. No, 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 no.
1: When you study Torah, it's holy. No Klipa whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But the level of holiness is not the same level of holiness, not the same level of Shina that's manifest in the second, even in the second temple. Mm-hmm. When you study Torah it's superior to anything else. Everything comes from Hashem, from Malchus. Mm-hmm. But there, there's a cover, there's a garment, noga. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's, not, it's, it's covered up. So you don't have that direct manifestation of the Divine. Versus in Torah, there is no cover-up. So you have a, a direct mm-hmm. manifestation of the Divine.
0: It's like sometimes at work, uh, when you're dealing with these vildahaias at work or whatever, that um, you know, you're taken away from the godliness and so there, the no Noga exists. Right. But then, when you study Torah, yeah. it doesn't exist. Right.
1: Exactly. You're immersed in holiness and godliness. So it's not the same level of intensity like in the Holy of Holies. And even the Second Temple, you weren't allo- allowed into the Holy of Holies, except Yom Kippur. Only the High Priest, because it was the intense the intensity was too intense. It was too powerful. When you study Torah, you have a Shekhinah, but you can, you can, you know, the intensity, you don't, you can handle it, you can absorb it. Versus when you go about your daily life, you don't have that Shekhinah, you don't have that intense revelation of Gathiness.
0: For the six hundred and thirteen commandments of the Torah are by and large precepts which involve action, including even those mitzvahs which are fulfilled by word and thought, such as Torah study, the grace after meals, the recital of Shema and Prayer. This is so even though these mitzvah involve thought, seeking to grasp the concepts in one studies and to experience the kavana the, the kavana of the Shema and Prayer. And as such they are not bound up with action. For it has been ruled that meditation has not the validity of speech, and one does not fulfill one's obligation by meditation in the manner of hierhor. And Kavana alone, even when it, his manner of meditation is close to speech, as is the case when one thinks about the way in which he will utter certain words, which is called hierhor, until he gives it utterance with his lips.
1: There's different levels of thought. There's a thought when you're thinking about something very profound and you hardly even notice the words and letters that you're thinking in because you're lost in thought. You're lost in the concept. You're thinking about a, an idea. It's not about the words and letters. You don't even feel the words and letters. You're just thinking about the raw idea. Then you have, when you're thinking, the most external thought. Like you're thinking in your mind, you're preparing a speech. So you're you're thinking the words you're going to say. You're going to say this. You're going to say that. So even though you're thinking, but it's the closest to speech. You're preparing the words that you're going to about, that you're about to say. So there, the words are very manifest. There, the words are very. It's all about the words. Very prominent. You're thinking about the right words to use and the right. How does it sound? How does this word sound? How does that word sound? What's the sequence? So you're not thinking so much about the content you're thinking more about the external, about the words. So that's the, that's the interface between thought and, and speech. So he says, even hearer, even thinking words, the most external part of, spe- of thought is not enough. You have not fulfilled your obligation unless you physically move your lips and physically say the word. So speech is, act- is a form of action in comparison to thought. Speech is a form of action. You're physically moving your lips. In comparison to action, it's not called action. It says uh, you only get you only get uh, lashes and a, pro- a violation, a prohibition. That's action-oriented. But a pro- prohibition that's not action-oriented. That's just speech. Usually, you don't get you don't get lashes. It's not called action. But in comparison to thought, it's also it's also considered considered action especially if it's, a, if it's a speech that leads to action like we learned if you, if you prompt the animal one of the 613 mitzvot in the Torah is that there's a prohibition that you're not allowed to muzzle the animal you're not allowed to stop the animal from eating when the animal's in the field, you have to allow the animal to eat. So it's in, in um, at the end of Parashas Kiseitse, there's a mitzvah in the Torah. A mitzvah 596, the Torah says, you're not allowed to muzzle your animal. You have to allow it to eat. It's cruel to have your animal work in the field and not allow it to eat from the, whatever it's working on, the fruits or the produce. What if you go ahead and you muzzle the animal, you physically muzzle the animal, you violate the prohibition, and you get lashes, you get punished. And that includes not only if you physically, with your hands, muzzle the animal, but if you yell at the animal, and the animals gets so frightened that it closes its mouth, it won't eat. Yes, physically you haven't done anything, but since you moved your lips, and your lips led you to action, so that's considered action. And therefore you get lashes. So when moving your lips leads to action, that's, that's then, so the fact that, it's not I thought. I thought and the animal didn't eat. I said something. I moved my lips. And, and it led to action. So therefore since moving lips is somewhat of an action, and it leads to action, it led to an action, therefore you get lashes. So yes, if it's just moving your lips alone, it's not, that's not called action. But if it's moving your lips and it leads to action, then it's considered action. Because moving your lips is also a form of action, you're moving your lips. So all the mitzvot in the Torah really have to be active, physical. So that's why the way of the Shekhinah, the way the Shekhinah manifests itself is in the world of action, of doing. Which is the level of malchus? That's the lowest level, the most external level, the action, the tangible, the physical action. It's revealed. That's most revealed. see Even the mitzvot that have to do with the with the emotional, like praying, also have to be manifest physically through speech, which is considered action. Which is the level of malchus? Speech. Most external. So the Shina, the Shekhinah, that's how the Shekhinah is manifest, in this physical world. So in order for a Jew to sustain the life in this physical world, you also have to draw the Shekhinah down into the physical world. How do you draw the Shekhinah down into the physical world? Through action, mitzvot. And even studying of Torah, you also have to move your lips. You have to study the Torah, you have to physically move your lips and say the words not enough just to think you have to physically move your lips and say the words of the Torah, you have to physically move your lips and pray so the mitzvah that are all connected with they have to be manifest, you have to be revealed they have to be brought into the world of action because this is the shechina, to bring the shechina into this world, which becomes the life source and the sustenance of everything that exists in this world it has to be manifest in action So therefore it has to be manifest in the studying of Torah and in the mitzvah. Next week we're going to learn the question is why does the Talmud say specifically by studying halacha? Halacha? Studying Torah. Studying Torah, moving your lips, saying the words of Torah, studying Torah. Why specifically Halacha? More than any other part of the Torah. There are many different parts of learning Torah. You can learn the simple pshat in the Torah. You can learn the The allegories in the Torah, you can learn the the Talmud, the explanations behind the mitzvot. Why specifically halacha? the bottom line, the verdict, the legal decision? Why specifically that? Why is the Shekhinah more manifest through the halacha than through any other part of the Torah? So that we're going to learn next week, to be continued.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.